0: Okay, so you make rum in Louisiana, having such like a history of, like a dark history. Mm -hmm. How does that feel for you as like a producer? Yeah. Is that like a a question or a thought that goes through your mind?
1: Yeah, it's something I think about every single day.
2: I bet. Welcome to So This One Shift, conversational series brought to you by Decoding Cocktails, featuring people from around the drinks and hospitality industry, sharing stories with a friend, colleague, or acquaintance. With any luck, we'll get to listen in on some hilarious and heartwarming tales, along with the moments that shape our lives and work. Learn more about the show, our guests, how to submit your own conversation, and subscribe at sowthisoneshift.com. Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of So This One Shift. Uh, so glad you're here. Thanks for making this part of your day. Uh, today you're going to get to hear from Olivia Stewart and Carlos Kennedy Lopez. Olivia is the president of the Louisiana distillery Oxbow Rum, which procures its sugarcane from a plantation that Olivia's family has grown on since 1859. Carlos Kennedy Lopez is the future head bartender of an establishment uh, that will be called Lolita. Uh, it's opening in Midtown Manhattan later this year and is part of the same beverage family as uh, one of the guests you heard from last week of Marshall Manaya of Valerie, and Madam George. Uh, and much like our guests last week, Olivia and Carlos met just a few minutes before recording. Uh, but they discovered uh, a number of fun things, including, uh, this was interesting, that uh, Olivia obviously... Uh, more apparently, but uh, both of them, uh, their families, have land on which crops are grown to make spirits. Uh, Carlos's family has uh, land on which uh, uh, agave is grown, and uh, he's currently, you're going to hear, talking with his siblings about are they going to get more involved in the process. Uh, as is often the case in this industry, neither of them necessarily saw themselves as kind of plodding through this in the long haul, but here they both are, and so they talk a little bit about how they've gotten here. Uh, there'll be a nice set of show notes available, because there are going to be terms like uh, we're going to talk about additives and tequila, piloncio. Uh, there is a, uh, a term that I've uh, heard Olivia make mention of a couple times where I was like, uh, what is that word? Alluvial is a term that she's going to talk about, which is a type of soil. So there'll be links to all sorts of great things online uh, as well, if you want to reference them. Uh, you can find Carlos online on Instagram at C L Nelson9 and Olivia is Sucro Olivia. That's S-U-C-R-O Olivia on Instagram. Uh so I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with them. It was uh it was a fun one to listen to and uh put together for you guys.
1: All right. Hello.
0: Hey. How are you? Good. Uh I'm Carlos. I'm Olivia. Um,
1: Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Do we need to like, I'm Olivia Stewart with Oxbow Rum Distillery. Like formal intros for the, uh, so yeah, I own, uh, my family's Rum Distillery. I run it. Um, It's in Baton Rouge and we're single estate. So we own the fields, the mill and the distillery. Um, So yeah.
0: All here in Louisiana. Yeah.
1: Very cool. So my family has been uh, in sugarcane since the 1800s. Wow. And then a little more recently, we decided to try our hand in rum.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Carlos. Um, I live in New York City. I work at a gin bar uh, called cool. Valerie. Um, but I am about to help uh, my boss open a sugarcane and agave distillate bar next door. So should be fun. And cool. I'm trying to learn... As much as I can about Rome.
1: Yeah. What neighborhood is it in?
0: Um, it's going to be in Midtown on 45th Street.
1: Cool. Yeah. Nice. I so I used to live in New York, and um, I was in the art world, like working in galleries and consulting and stuff. That's like what I thought I was going to do with my whole life. Um, you know, went to like, like got my masters in it and everything. You know, like really thought I was on a a path, and then COVID hit.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think COVID changed a lot for a lot of people. I was similarly, I was, um, I have a BFA in acting Cool. and I moved to New York and I was like, I'm going to go to Broadway. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be in all the shows. And then I got there, I moved and was working on a movie and then I started doing like production and back end of movie sort of things like, um, AD work. And the pandemic hit and yeah. life sort of aligned itself in a way where I fell in love with the bar. Yeah. I was like, I've been in the service industry since I was 18. Yeah. Let's just get both feet in there.
1: Right. Career it up. Yeah. Career yeah. it up. Totally. Yeah. I So I got my start in bartending um, here in New Orleans. Um, and then I bartended in New York for a little bit and, you know, thought... Like, it was totally behind me, the the industry as a whole. Uh, But, you know, life has a way of working itself out. And my husband now, we met bartending here in New Orleans. And he had moved up to New York to, like, try and get out of the industry. Because, you know, when you you do it here in New Orleans, it is very... It's volatile anywhere, or it can be, you know. But here, especially, like, ten years ago, there was just, like, no focus on like moderation (laughs) or any kind of uh mental health anyway so we got out and we were living in New York but you know when COVID hit we came down um we didn't lose our jobs or anything but we just thought oh we'd ride this thing out for a few weeks and then we got here and my dad was like trying to run the Brum brand at the time it was under a different name and and he was just like I can't do it like, I don't know this, I run a sugar mill, I don't yeah. know what the hell any of this is, please just move back and help me. Um, and my husband, he'd like home and stuff before, and we had we had a palate develop because of bartending, sure. right? Like, we learned and trained under Cureco here. So like, um, you know, it was very much a study for us. Uh, so we just kinda had to reach down, pull that back out, and here we are, he's my distiller. Very cool. And, um, you know, I've just like been drinking from a fire hose on all things like sugar industry, sugar cane, farming, cultivating and and rum, obviously. So if you have any rum questions or sugarcane questions (laughs) for your bar. Well,
0: I was really because, of course, Louisiana has such a history of sugar cane. Mm -hmm. Um, I was walking. I don't know where I was quite drunk a couple of nights ago yeah but there was i think a museum and it was like louisiana was founded on uh and made famous by cotton and sugarcane and i was like of course where yeah. where are all the sugarcane like distillates in this city
1: yeah right so um like cotton and indigo definitely were big but sh- once they realized they could crystallize and grow sugarcane here um in the 1700s that's and like toward the end of it of that century, it started becoming more viable and more of an industry, um, as like cotton disease and everything like wiped it out. Mm -hmm. Um, people started switching to sugar cane and like really the first half of the 19th century, you have like your big boom. Um, actually the first like sugar cane plantation, uh, where they crystallized sugar was where Audubon park is today. Um, yeah, so definitely a super rich history. Um, the inventor of the uh, f- like five effect evaporation system was a free person of color, Etienne Debore. No, excuse me. That's the first person who crystallized. Um, what was his name? Um, uh, I'll have to look it up. But he like that totally transformed the industry and made it into what it is. Um, And it allowed it to really boom in the first half of the 19th century. So uh, what you had was like as Louisiana became a state, um, you had all these like new Americans coming down, like taking over from the French and that culture and everything. Um, But surprisingly, not much of a rum, as deep of a rum history. Um, You have this thing like, kind of appearing in certain documents called taffia, which was, like, really rough. It's not even confirmed whether or not it was made from juice or molasses. Um, I've seen variants of both in, like, historical records, but it was, like, from all accounts, like, pretty rough stuff. Yeah. And most of it, what you had was most of the molasses was just shipped up to New England to be distilled there and then become part of the like North Atlantic slave trade and the triangle. So really interesting history um, and dark at times, but only in the past 10 years, do you see kind of a formidable rum scene of
0: distillers? I'm curious. How do you, how do you feel about having, what am I trying to say? Okay. So you, make rum in Louisiana having such like a history of like a dark history Mm -hmm. how does that feel for you as like a producer yeah is that like a a question or a thought that goes through your mind
1: yeah I it's something I think about every single day I bet yeah um especially uh, like my family has owned the mill and the and cane field since 1859 um so uh, five years before the emancipation, emancipation proclamation. So, my great great grandfather was an enslaver, and that has even being able to say that has been something I've worked on since moving back down here. It's yeah. funny, like living in New York, I, it, I, which is you know presumably a much more liberal, um, progressive place. I was just much less able to talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Or like even within, have an inner dialogue about it. Um, And it wasn't until moving back that like, I really, I guess a combination of just, I really wanted to and needed to just living back on the farm. Um, But also working in rum and like just maturing and growing and doing the work and working with nonprofits and stuff. It's, It's really hard, um, but it's the right thing to do, and it's definitely been a freeing experience for me. Very cool. Yeah. So it's, uh, but, you know, it's just been great to have those opportunities to confront it um, and do the right thing and put our money in the right place and promote diversity and equity and things like that. Um, knowing that we have that responsibility.
0: Well, that's really where like some of the biggest power comes in companies is their buying power, you know, yeah, where they put that money. Yeah,
1: definitely. Even though we're like really small, <laughs> <laughs> I you... don't have that much money, <laughs> but lo- I try. Are you localized
0: to Louisiana? Are you distributing elsewhere?
1: Um, so we just launched in Texas and Florida. No, mm-hmm. excuse me, launched in Texas and Georgia. And then Florida, Colorado, and New York actually are coming up the pipe next year
0: okay great. yeah well we open in the fall so okay perfect
1: <laughs> we should do uh, i mean there's so many like sugar cane activations and um you know i can send you all some raw sugar
0: yes absolutely to
1: make the best dim ever
0: <laughs> there's so many v- like vocab words in the rum world that i just don't know yeah um like I, i'm drinking right now uh, a punch a tea punch tea punch tea punch yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's delicious yeah so uh well so I guess you're mostly versed in gin or like what's Uh, your gin and agave okay your niche okay
0: right now it's becoming agave in my veins everywhere I love it Um, my so my dad passed away last year and um our family owns uh, agave land and My dad had put in this well into the land. And um, so my dad has like 12 brothers and sisters. Yeah. And when my grandparents died, they never organized the estate. And so pieces of land have been sold or bought off or reorganized, remanaged. Um, But now that my dad passed away and I kind of like regrouped with all my siblings, some of them still live in Mexico, some of them live in the States. Um, But there is this kind of fire inside of me to reclaim that land that's ours and to start growing our own agave I know it's like a pipeline and like a 10 years down the line yeah but you have to thing. start somewhere
1: that's but amazing
0: we'll see right now we have um agaveiros in the land that rent out to us okay um so I mean they still have to grow their agave so that's you know, at least six years before we can even touch the land. Re- oh, wow.
1: Okay. But um,
0: I think that in conjunction with opening this agave portion of this bar, um, yeah, it's something.
1: Yeah. So, like, you would love to start, like, your own family-owned tequila brand.
0: Absolutely. Cool. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Because uh- I think
0: also, too, there's, especially tequila, it's such a monoculture um like plants, so uh, there's not a lot of biodiversity. So it'd be really cool to have a tequila that isn't um, beholden to Blue Weber agave mm-hmm. and um, to be able to create some biodiversity on that land to help with the ecosystem and yeah. local economy there.
1: I think you definitely have to differentiate in tequila, right? Like just with how big. It's booming. Absolutely. And how many brands are out there. But I think what is, is so cool, you should definitely pursue this dream. Um, family businesses are really hard. Yeah. Family distilleries are maybe even harder <laughs> than your average family business. But the reward, when you own the land and are farming it, um, the reward is that much greater. And it feels that much more important and, like, the purpose is higher um, rather than just, like, yet another white dude, like, tequila amb- brand ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you have, like, actual skin and blood in the game yeah. if if that were to come to fruition. So um, anytime you need advice or guidance, I'd be happy to... Perfect. Give I it will definitely you. <laughs>
0: take you up on that offer.
1: Um but yeah, there are a lot of similarities I'm noticing between Rum and tequila, like as a category. I mean tequila has more regulations as far as like the states it can come from. Um Rum has like no regulations, which is something you'll learn. Um but the additives. So I didn't, I knew it was a problem in rum or I learned it was a problem in rum. Um, when I first like got into this, um, and that's kind of what led or I guess directed our brand development, uh, under Oxpo, which was all, is all about additive free, um, sugar free, you know, premium sipping rum brand. Mm -hmm. Right. um, but I didn't realize it was such a thing in tequila too.
0: It's honestly one of our most challenging things right now in building the back bar is uh, Marshall Manaya and I both are very we really do not want an additive bar. So yeah. our plan is to have a hundred percent additive free tequilas. Cool. And it's a challenge. Yeah,
1: but do y'all use the matchmaker?
0: Yeah, the matchmaker is incredible. Yeah. Um,
1: I wish someone would do that for rum. I don't have time, but <laughs>
0: if you're I, out there, <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm plugging this uh, PSA right now. Um, yeah, it's it's things like that that I think could help progress the rum category, mm-hmm. and because people are starting to learn about it in tequila, and like people these days really want to know what's in the bottle and what they're drinking. So, which I think they should.
0: And I think the tides are changing too because we we'll go to tastings with, you know, different rep companies and they will they understand that people are looking for that. Mm. And they can help guide and and um you know, sh- lead us down the right path. Yeah. Um but it's still challenging. And also too, it's not even about necessarily, I mean, additives are important, right, to be transparent about it. Yeah. But just having transparency period in a bottle that you're consuming, that you're presenting to your guests, customers. Yeah. That transparency can go so far. Yes. In a conversation, in respecting like the agave that took years to grow.
1: Right. Yeah, that's another thing. Not just transparency about what's in the bottle, but how it was made and mm-hmm. like the labor practices. Um, I don't know if that's an issue with agave farming in Mexico. Do you? Because um, it definitely is in sugarcane in like Latin America?
0: A lot of the regulations with tequila and mezcal, and I'm not an expert in this. Yeah, but you will be one day. I will be one day. This is how you start. This is a journey. Um, Especially in mezcal, there's a lot of um, families that will join co-ops because it's the only way to put food on the table. Right. But the hurdles in that, is like the hurdles in anything like, you know, um, um, in coffee, what do they do? It's called like, uh, I can't think of the word, but it's like a like fair trade. St- type fair of trade. Thing. Yeah. Fair trade is not necessarily fair. Right. And it doesn't necessarily like pay as much as it should pay. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of the cooperatives, and there's a lot of great work in Mexico to make sure that those people are getting paid. Um, so I, I think it has a bright future. There's definitely a lot of problems, but I think these conversations and conversations that are happening within the spirit are going to guide it down the right path. Yeah. And who knows, maybe in like 20 years, I can be one of those people who pays those people yeah. the proper wages.
1: Definitely. <laughs> and with the right conditions. With the right yeah. conditions, yeah. Yeah, that's something. And RUM, definitely one of the things I propose for and like try and push for the case for American rum. If it's made from American sugarcane, like, you know, that is coming from the right, re- a good place with good conditions and good pay, you know, because it, it has to, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, at least, you know, the responsible employers. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a close watchful eye on the Louisiana industry, especially on that. So it's like, you know exactly what you're getting if you're buying like a Louisiana sugarcane made product. Um, And, you know, I'm really proud of that. So I just hope I'm trying to get that to take off. (laughs) But like as you all stock your bar, you know, and I've noticed this with other bars too, you know, they really, they kind of stock based on ethos as much as they do
0: liquid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because I think it starts the conversation and creates a community at the bar. Right? Yeah. The we storytelling. The storytelling. We yeah. were having this conversation the other day here at Tales with a couple of people about bars. And, you know, we were talking about different 50 bests and dive bars and this. And I think everyone there had the same idea that, like, the bar is community. And without that community and without the availability to access that community what's the point yeah and what are we doing is it 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 just is it stale is it alive is it worth it
1: yeah yeah if it's just the brands with a ton of money like making it on the bar on the back bar and that's all you're talking about like what are we all here for what are we all here for (laughs) yeah
0: um i have a question about your rum yeah is it agricole? Is it...
1: Yeah, so we do both uh, cane juice-based okay. and molasses-based. Um, actually brought a bottle of our cane juice-based if you want to taste it. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so this is our... Um, Obviously, no one can see us, thankfully, because I have poison ivy on my face. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is. But um, so I'm holding a bottle of our Oxbow Rum Louisiane. It's a beautiful is, bottle. Thank you. Which is just French for Louisiana rum.
0: It has this nice chartreuse color. Coming
1: yeah. Out so that's from the back inside of the back label. But it's clear. The liquid is clear. Just so it, no, addi- yep. no green additives. No, no green additives. <laughs> um. So this is our unaged, um, and we write, handwrite the year of the harvest, um, ourselves on the front. So one thing that differs between, you know, so we're in the Spear Bomb suite. So using them as an example, J.M. Recalmont, I went down to those cane farms last year. Um, the most amazing experience. They were the best hosts. And, um, let's see, do we have any cups? Oh yeah, I'm so prepared for once. Um, so their cane harvest in Latin America lasts like eight months, um, so they're able to cut and produce for that long, for that much time out of the year. Um, however, in Louisiana, we're so much farther north that you know our growing season is not nearly that long. Um, and Thank we have you. to harvest 24 seven and we have about a hundred days to produce the entire year's worth of yeah. sugar. Um, and thus agricole. But Sperobom would never let me utter the words agricole in their room when referring to my cane juice rum because it's at AOC in Martinique.
0: Well, I'm still learning, so I'm going to utter the word.
1: Yes, that's fine. But they can't, they'll can't. they know I know better. Um, so the, a cane juice-based rum. So okay, cane juice. This is a great learning opportunity. This is wonderful. I really um, appreciate it. Yeah, so agricole, French word for agriculture, is a AOC. Rum agricole is an AOC-protected term by the French government. And mm. the EU acknowledges it. Latin America acknowledges it. The U.S., however, does not. Um, so that's how I'm able. I put it as a descriptor on my bottle um, just because that's the word people know. Um, but they basically, if it doesn't, if it's not made, if it's not Martinique sugarcane and distilled and bottled in Martinique, you can't call it agricole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but American cane juice producers do. All day and all night.
0: (laughs) Um, Have you tried any of the um, charanda or Mexican aguardientes?
1: Yes. Paranubes? Yes. I love Paranubes.
0: There's this beautiful um, aguardiente from Oaxaca called Daca Bend. Mm. Um, And they use a mixture of piloncillo, which is, do you know piloncillo? Mm -mm. It's like um, boiled sugar and then they compact it down
1: oh kind of like um not canela but um panilla maybe kind of yeah panela that's what i mean
0: I don't. it's know. kind of like
1: and you can like crunch it
0: yeah yeah it's like
1: a block of caramelized sugar absolutely Harden.
0: yeah it creates this beautiful mouthfeel
1: yeah and it, so they just they ferment that
0: they ferment that with cane juice 50 50. oh yum yum Shall we try I'd, this?
1: Yeah, let's try it. I already took a sip. <laughs> so wonderful. So what I have here uh, is our cane juice rum. This is our 2022 vintage. Um, this is pot distillation and closed fermentation. So um, in Martinique, it's all open fermentation done within 24 hours, and it's calm still. Um, we just kind of wanted to differentiate ourselves and make it a little more juicy and earthy. Um, you taste, like, the alluvial soil that we have down here in the Mississippi River Delta. So alluvial super, soil? Oh, yes. <laughs> All that rich river sediment over a millennia just depositing as the mouth of the Mississippi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's what, uh, that's the type of soil we have. So Louisiana terroir. That's it. So um, when you go taste the JM, take note of how you'll notice in, in a Martinique-style it's like volcanic and you can, I can even taste like a salty sea breeze when I sip it, you know, it's a Caribbean island. So of course it's going to be different than the rich, uh, humid, (laughs) not salty sea breeze region we have down here in Louisiana. And that's terroir and spirits, which you get in a cane juice, any cane juice product like Cachaca or Aguardiente or something like that. Mm -hmm. I love the category so much.
0: Me too. Yeah. I was, we went up for a rum tasting last week. Um, and we had tasted some of the bottles like El Dorado and, um, JM. And every time I circle back to those brands, my nose immediately can tell what brand it is. You know, you can, you can smell and taste the specific terroir, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You can taste a Demerara from, uh, uh, Eldorado, mm-hmm. you can taste that volcanic soil from yeah. JM.
1: Yeah, I mean, in molasses rums, it's harder to tell, just because that's been processed uh, before fermenting. Um, but nonetheless, really interesting. I mean, every brand has their mark, right? Um, and, you know, another thing about the AOC and Martinique is, like, no additives, um, which I really admire and, like, we kind of emulate that in our branding, too. So, um... You know, the world of rum is, is a wild and crazy frontier. <laughs> Do
0: you have a goal for you and your company as far as, like, your mark and what you think is important in rum? That might be a little vague, but, like, is there no, something I love that, that. that just pops out to you that's I a driving We want to be,
1: like, we want to be that American rum brand that just, you know takes it to the next level and, like, makes a name for, really, Louisiana rum. That's Mm -hmm. really my passion. Uh, It's hard to pinpoint what American rum would be because it's all so different. Um, And so, you know, I just... I feel like rum has not had its, like, heyday sexy moment yet, Mm -hmm. like tequila's having right now. Um, And we would just really love to be at the forefront of that and just educate people, uh, and have it be, you know, like, like hearing, let me get an oxbow old fashioned in like Nebraska. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, I look forward to that day.
1: Yeah, me too. What would you call your family's tequila brand if you had, Oh man. Have you ever thought about it?
0: I mean, probably something to do with my father or, Because my grandparents had purchased the land with the intent to leave it for the children to grow and live on. And we had this whole conversation recently with my brothers. A couple of them don't care about it or, you know, are less passionate, which is completely understandable. You don't have to be passionate about it. But we did have this conversation about how this land was given to us and is ours. For us to grow and to prosper and to create generational wealth within our community and our family so maybe after my father, Leo Vas. yeah, yeah. Maybe. that'd be
1: amazing <laughs> I mean that's what my you know, those who came before me they had the same idea and mm-hmm. here I am yeah, with selling talking to you about my own,
0: well cheers to that
1: cheers Ding. to family farms, to family farms and spirits made from them
0: Goes down really smooth.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It does make a good tea punch. Sorry, Spirit Bond.
2: Thanks for joining us today. Learn more about the show, our guests from around the industry, how to submit your own conversation, and be sure to subscribe at sowthisoneshift.com. This series is produced by Decoding Cocktails.